My name's Melody Horrell. I'm from, uh, I currently live in Melbourne, Australia, and I'm the author of uh, The Dolphin Who Saved Me in the US, uh, UK and Canada and A Dolphin Called Jock. Same book here in Australia, just with a different title. There are so many things I'd wish for 2024. End of uh, Cetaceans in Captivity would be a big one and a greater respect for our oceans and world peace, of course. I mean, I can't, no, I can't not say that as well. So I guess I have those three wishes. When I was a kid, there was a show called Flipper. It was about a couple of young boys whose best friend was a bottlenose dolphin. And I remember watching that show with my brother thinking, that is so cool. So when I was invited to be one of the very first readers for a book about a human who becomes friends with an injured river dolphin in Australia, of course I said yes. I knew I had to meet the writer and I knew I had to talk to her. Her scam. When I read Melody Horrell's book, The Dolphin Who Saved Me, it just kept reminding me of the documentary My Octopus Teacher, a story about a wounded human finding their way with the help of an amazing animal. But this book, well, it dives deeper into Melody's life and shares her experiences surviving domestic abuse and then gets into how her friendship with a dolphin human's name Jock helped her find balance and also helped inspire her to protect Jock's family and his habitat. Good day. I'm Mark Larignan, and this is Scanna, a podcast for fans of fact-based reality and reality-based facts. And this is our first interview with a guest who is beaming in from Australia. Now, I don't know how or why this happens, but we have consistently rocked the iTunes charts around the world, including Ireland, Iceland, and New Zealand. So, hey to all our listeners, but especially anyone tuning in from outside of our home in Canada and our unnerving neighbors, the definitely not United States. And if you'd like to help us tell more inspiring ocean stories from Australia and around the world, please join our pod at patreon.com or subscribe to our Substack newsletter, which features bonus stories about all the aquatic animals and issues we cover. So whether you're in Canada or not, this is the place to find out what's happening in the water. A paid subscription would be just fantastic as your support helps us pay for the tech and the human beings required to make this happen. And the more support we get, the more stories we can share. You can also help us out by buying my books about sharks and whales for younger readers and my books for older readers. One of them, The Killer Whale Who Changed the World, is a serious book. My book, Never Shoot a Stampede Queen, won Canada's Leacock Medal for Humor, and it's 100% fish-free. Also orca-free. Because orcas, not fish, also not dolphins. But we'll get into that some other time. Both of these books and Orcas Everywhere are available as audiobooks recorded by me. And you can get them wherever you get your audiobooks. So please share our episodes, our Substack newsletter, and our social media. We are still on most platforms. 
just not the really offensive one that I'm not going to keep plugging. Now, before we kick off this episode, I just wanted to mention, you will occasionally hear a little bit of jangling in the background. That's because Melody is wearing these really cool bracelets, and I didn't notice them, and she didn't notice them when we were recording. And now, let's talk about a wonderful book, An Unforgettable Friendship, The Plight of the Port River Dolphins, and the Fight to Create Safe Spaces for Sea Life with author and broadcaster Melody Horrell. Perfect. So it is so great to finally be doing this. I mean, I got to see your book before it was published, which is such a cool thing to get to do. And that was such a treat. So congratulations on the book. Thank you. Can you kick off by telling the world who these who the Port River Dolphins are? <laughs> sure. So the Port River Dolphins uh, live in an estuary in a place called Adelaide, South Australia. One of the few places in the world where resident dolphins live so close to a capital city. So this estuary is traditionally, uh, has been quite polluted in the past. Parts of it still remain pristine. It's mangrove mangrove lined. The mangroves are tens of thousands of years old. Industry has taken over some of it. And the dolphins there are resident dolphins. So um, they're bottlenose dolphins and mostly live in and around this estuary called the Port River. Very special group of dolphins. And uh, I, they face many threats from living in this uh, river system, fishing, you know, pollution, uh, all of the usual things. And there have been generations of, of uh, dolphins that have been born there and living there. In recent years, they faced many threats, including uh, unexplained deaths of uh, several adults. Tests showed that no one really knows what the cause of that de- those deaths were, other than there was a issue with their immune system, inability to fight off infections. And uh, but I hope that with new generations being born in the river, that the resident dolphins there will bounce back. And continue to thrive. That's that's my great hope. But uh, there, yeah, it's a very special place, the Port River, because it, as I said, it is an estuary, and there seems to be almost an invisible barrier between the estuary and the Gulf, the open ocean. So you have these dolphins living in the river, which are resident dolphins, and then dolphins that live in the Gulf, and uh, sometimes they cross over, but it doesn't happen too often. Now. Is it one of the things that makes these unique is how close these dolphins hang out to humans? I'm not just talking about the dolphin that, that we're going to get mm, into. My job. <laughs> Your job, but dolphins in general, like the proximity to a big city. I think so. I think that I think that's the case. And the dolphins in the Port River, you know, there, there have been generations born in that river system. And being so close to people has been good for them in one respect, but not so great in another respect. There's a lot of people in South Australia that love the Port River dolphins, that care for their well-being, that keep an eye out for them. But on the other hand, with a population right on your doorstep, it's a very urbanised environment. So you have a lot of 
fishing and boat traffic and all the other stuff that humans like to do around water, which does impact the dolphins. So, uh, and there's more and more um, real estate popping up along the banks of the river as well. So, which is again a good and bad thing in that you have more people with eyes on the Port River looking out for the dolphins. But on the other hand, there's more pressure on the environment and the ecosystem. A lot of the stormwater, Adelaide stormwater, ends up in the Port River. So you've got, you know, issues like heavy metals and pollution. And thankfully, though, in recent years, there's been a really real concerted effort to reduce discharge and, and, and make sure that industry cleans up its act along that river. But, you know, you've got historical pollution issues, uh, stuff that stays in the sediment for a very long time. That was been there for many, many years, long before the river was really cleaned up. So it's an interesting place, the Port River, because some people still consider I mean, I've been interviewed on radio where people have said to me, you jumped in the Port River? What are you, crazy? <laughs> that's, that's a dirty, polluted place. Sure, it probably was. It, is, it was at one point. But there's this amazing population of dolphins that live there. And part of it is still very beautiful. And the thing is that you've got, I think the dolphins reside there because, you know, it's a sheltered area. It's a reasonable amount of fish because it's mangrove lined and, uh, you know, mangroves act as fish nurseries. And, uh, you know, it's not a bad location if you're a dolphin. But there, of course, are... Uh, pressures that go along with living so close to people. Now, I was wondering how much your work and how much the information about dolphins has impacted decisions to help clean up the Port River. Uh, the dolphins being in the canary in the coal mine, how much awareness have they raised for people who are now going, yeah, I guess maybe we better clean up this river? Look, over the years, I think there has been a huge amount of awareness. I was when I left university, and I know you're going to get onto this, but I started a not-for-profit to raise awareness about the Port River dolphins, and I made it my single-minded mission to let everybody know in South Australia that these dolphins existed. They're here. And, you know, it was really important to get buy-in from the local community and from the South Australian community and that they would start to care about these animals because they're so... so they're obvious animals, you know, when, when, when they get sick or they get injured, it's an obvious thing, you see them. And, uh, I, you know, creating that connection between people on the land and things in the water was very important. Sometimes that can be really hard because we're land-based mammals, you know, and people don't, sometimes don't connect with what's in the water. But I think dolphins, because they do have a special place in our hearts, they you know, you can stand on the riverbank and, and watch a dolphin, uh, its dorsal fin emerge from the depths. And there's that exhilarating feeling and that connection. They help us connect, I think, to the water and the natural world in a way that many other animals perhaps wouldn't, like fish or birds or other, um, other marine life. So, um, yeah, I started this foundation and uh, Thanks to work, not just by me, but by so many other amazing people, that uh, ended up, well, it resulted in the Port River becoming Australia's first dolphin sanctuary. I think it was about 2005. And one of the things that really spurred that along was a documentary I 
wrote and presented for Australian television that I took to CNN with me and was aired around the world. Uh, and that was one of my proudest moments, actually, was to be able to show the world these dolphins and their environment and talk about the threats. And that really prompted the government to do something. And that resulted in the, the Port River Sanctuary. But the sanctuary, while it's terrific and it's done some really positive things for the dolphins, I don't, I think it has some way to go before it becomes a sanctuary in the true sense of the word. The documentary is wonderful. Oh, you've seen it? Yeah. Ah, and <laughs> I, I was going to ask about the impact of the documentary. I didn't realize that it led directly to the, so the Adelaide River itself is considered the sanctuary. Yes, the Port River. Or sorry. That's right. Yeah, that's I've written okay. down Adelaide Dolphin Sanctuary. So Adelaide. My, my bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I have it written down as the Adelaide Dolphin Sanctuary. Yeah, that's what it's called. Um, but it's in the Port River. I know it's a bit confusing. It, it can be. But yes, it's the Adelaide Dolphin Sanctuary, but it is actually in the Port River. So, you know, that was, as I said, it wasn't just the documentary that achieved that. It was so much work by so many other people and passionate people that cared about the dolphins and the future and their environment. But it was a step on the way, you know, it's a small, it was, a, well, it was quite a significant step on the way, really, into an acknowledgement that these marine mammals and their environment are important enough to protect. But as I said, I think we still have some way to go before it becomes a true sanctuary. Because when you think of the word sanctuary, it implies that it's a place where something can exist without threat. Yet, there are still threats that exist for the Port River Dolphins. So work's not done quite yet. Okay. I was curious about how the sanctuary worked because there have been so many attempts, you know, to create a sanctuary for orcas out in this part of the world. And one is coming together, but still, yeah. you know, still seems a ways off. And I was wondering how this one came together and how it's working. Yeah. It's terrific from an awareness perspective. You know, the, the sanctuary has really created an interest and awareness about the Port River and the dolphins. And a lot of people go there, they kayak, they, they hang out to see the dolphins. So once again, there are more eyes on the river and there, there's more interest, I guess, in, in learning more about the ecosystem and the dolphins. But there's still human activities on the river. And I'm not suggesting for a second you take those away because I think that that only creates um, more division, right? So it's about living in concert with the environment and the dolphins in a way that works. And uh, I think that there still needs to be quite a lot of work done in that area because things like heavy gauge fishing, for instance, in the, in, in the river, I, I personally don't think it should happen. Things like you know, um, dredging, for instance, is something that we need to look at because you're raising up historical sediments. There is still some industry along the river. Boat speeds. There are still boat races, speedboat races uh, in parts of the Port River. So, you know, I think that it's a great a step, definitely in the right direction, but I think there's still some way to go. Now, I ask so many people about the first time they saw a whale. I feel like I should ask you, do you remember the first time you saw a dolphin? I do, actually. Uh, the very first time I saw a dolphin was on a ship when I was a little girl and I was coming over to Australia from England. 
And uh, I remember going to the railing and um, seeing these fins emerge by the side of this old Russian ship that we ended up on. And my brother was there at the time and I said, oh, my gosh, look, there's dolphins. And, you know, I'd read about dolphins. And, in fact, my, my mother, when I was quite young, gave me a book called The Friendly Dolphins. And I'm not even sure who, who wrote that, but it was a terrific book. And uh, so I was aware of dolphins, but seeing them in the flesh, it was amazing. And they, they just kept up with the boat, you know, seamlessly. No, effort, like, effortlessly. Just, you know, skirting through the water with such little effort and yet so much grace. They just took my breath away. Fantastic. So now we, get, we have to talk about the star of your book, Jock. And can you talk about how you met Jock? I can. After I put myself through, I went back to high school. It's a long, bit of a long backstory, but um, I went back and finished my, um, my schooling and got myself into university. And, uh, you know, as a young woman, there were, there were things that I was dealing with from my family perspective, I suppose. And I was a little nervous about going to university. I didn't think I was good enough. I, one of my first lecturers uh, was a man by the name of Dr. Mike Bosley, and he was my psychology lecturer. <laughs> and in one of the first lectures, he started talking about dolphins, which I thought at the time was really random because I was there <laughs> in a psychology lecture. Uh, but he started talking about the importance of the natural world and connecting with nature and, and the psychological benefits of being out in nature. And he mentioned that he was uh, studying the Port River dolphins and had been doing so for a few years. And I was just fascinated, it just got me in straight away. So essentially, to cut a very long story short, after one of the lectures, I went up to him and I said, hey, do you need a research assistant? And he said, oh, yeah, I could always use an extra pair of hands. You know, you want to volunteer? And I said, yeah, absolutely, I do. So took me out on the boat for the first time. And uh, it was a small rubber dinghy. And, uh, you know, I, I had no idea what to expect. I was incredibly excited about the whole thing. And we launched the boat. And one of the first things I saw was this um, mangled dorsal fin circling a boat moored in the middle of a river. There's a part of the river that wasn't really where dolphins usually hang out. It was artificially warmed by a power station, so the water was bathwater warm, you know, and there was steam rising from the river. And it was a pretty godforsaken part of the, the river, to be honest with you. And I, I noticed this, what looked to be a dorsal fin circling this decrepit old boat in, that had been moored in the middle of the river. And this boat was covered with bird poo. It had obviously been there for years, totally unloved. And I could believe it was a dolphin. Like Its fin was so badly deformed and mangled that it just seemed unreal. And I said to Mike, you know, is that a dolphin? And he said, yeah, you know, it's a dolphin. Uh, we know about this dolphin. It's called Jock and I'll tell you about him at another time. <laughs> Little did I know at that point that Jock would end up being my best friend and lead me out of a place that I didn't think was possible. So immediately I, I just felt a connection 
to this solitary dolphin. He was by himself, uh, which, again, I knew from having read about dolphins that they're very social animals and they don't hang out by themselves. They, they like to be with other dolphins. This dolphin just seemed so disconnected from the world around him, so lonely. And this is me putting my own emotional response onto this. I understand that. But it just resonated with me. He was not only deformed because he had this terribly mangled dorsal fin, but he just seemed adrift and alone. And that really touched something in me because I was kind of feeling the same way. So from my perspective, it was this instant recognition of another being that I felt um, compassion for and a connection with. And it really was that striking. It really was that significant. It was remarkable. <laughs> when I read your book, the comparison that I made when I did the blurb about your book was to my octopus teacher because I felt like this is a case of the relationship with Jock changing you as a human being. But I feel what you did was you went much deeper into the trauma you were going through, the pain you were going through, and how being with Jock basically helped the dolphin helped you become a more whole human being. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I can. So what happened then was that Mike, um, he threw... He threw a, uh, a paddle into the water and this, this dolphin came over, this mangled dolphin came over, started playing with the paddle, which blew my mind. I thought, what, what's going on here? And then, of course, he confided to me that he and the other research assistants had been interacting with Jock physically. He was a solitary dolphin. So from that point on, I learned a little bit more about Jock's background and he'd been caught up in fishing line and nets as a young dolphin. And Mike said to me one day, why don't you jump in the water? <laughs> and I went, okay. So <laughs> I jumped into the water to jump. And again, it was this the most extraordinary experience. He accepted me in a way that I'd never been accepted in my life before. Here I was, a human being in his world, and he had no fear of me. There was complete and utter trust. And that blew my mind because I had come from a background um, where, you know, my father had gone to jail for, for attacking my mother. I'd grown up in this household filled with domestic violence. I, a, lot of, a lot of stuff had happened. And as a young woman, I just really felt that I just had this mask that I was putting onto the world and there was all this unhealed undealt with stuff within me which I tried to deal with but I hadn't really you know I was angry I didn't know where what my place in the world was I hadn't dealt with any of it really even though it, on the exterior to many people it's possible that they may have thought that uh, she's got it together but I really didn't so to be in the water with this dolphin was extraordinary because for the first time in my life I was being totally accepted without question, and that had never happened to me before. Over the next three years, I developed a friendship with Jock where we'd hang out, you know, jump in the water, he'd come over, blow his bubbles, say hello, and we would interact together for, you know, 
maybe once or twice a week for three years and I got to know Jock. Then he realised, I guess I realised that many things. Firstly, he taught me how to forgive. My species had inflicted so much pain on this dolphin. He'd been entangled in fishing line. He'd been speared. Um, I don't know what had happened to his mother. Yet he still trusted me. And I'm the species that inflicted the pain. So he taught me a lot about forgiveness. So I started thinking about that and forgiving the people in my past which had caused me pain. So there were all these lessons along the way which Jock had told me, taught me, I'm sorry. He also taught me about that I was okay to hang out with, that I was I was a good enough human being to interact with, that I was enough. That it actually didn't matter that, you know, I'd help put my father in jail and and, you know, that I'd 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 had all these scars that I was still healing from from my past. Didn't matter to him. What mattered was the purity and the beauty of that moment. And he forced me to live in the moment instead of thinking about what had happened to me yesterday or what was going to happen to me tomorrow. So that beautiful moment, those beautiful moments of interaction helped me to realise that actually all we do have is this moment. And here I am being accepted by an animal unconditionally. Not, I'm not, we're not feeding him. We're not enticing him. There's no other reason for him to hang out with me other than he just wants to. How mind-blowing is that? I'd never encountered anybody in my life before who had given me that kind of unconditional acceptance. And it made me realise it was possible. It was love. Love was possible. And that you didn't have to have strings attached with it. And that was the first time I'd ever experienced that. And it was revolutionary. I guess the other thing is that he, and I don't want to go into the book too much, but we ended up helping Jock interact with other dolphins. And I eventually went out of this little area of the Port River that was his safety zone. That was his place. That's where he felt comfortable. And he ventured out to see other dolphins for the first time. And the bravery this dolphin showed in doing that taught me a lot about courage, about facing your fears, about going outside your comfort zone and just going, what the hell, I've got to give it a go and I can be brave enough no matter what. So he taught me about courage. He taught me that for me to move on in my life, then I had to go and face the things outside of my little world even though it may have been fearful for me to do that, I had to get out of my comfort zone if I was going to grow. And he showed me that that was possible. <laughs> wow. Now, this is a bit of an odd question, but in terms of people thinking you had it together, I know you've been a TV presenter in Australia. I've got no sense of how famous you are you know, start like before, <laughs> no. before Jock. No, no, I am not famous at all. Um, <laughs> I, I, okay. Jock, my relationship with Jock led me to, you know, form the foundation to, to raise awareness about the Port River Dolphins, which led me into a career in TV. 
That was not something that I'd actually got out to do because I didn't think I was actually capable. I didn't think I had the skills. I didn't think I could. I certainly didn't have the self-belief to be able to put myself in front of a camera and go, hey, you know, here I am reporting on whatever it was. So it was really because I became the spokesperson for the dolphins in South Australia. And then as a result of that, other environmental organisations sort of asked me to help them out. So suddenly I was, you know, talking to the media uh, about the dolphins, about their environment and and representing other organisations. And that led me to a career reporting. And I became an environment reporter, which was perfect. (laughs) I didn't know what I was doing most of the time. Um, Just flew by the seat of my pants and learnt on the job. And it was an amazing experience. And then that led to one of the news directors coming along and saying, hey, you know, the weather is part of the environment. Why don't you do that? Okay. So then I went and learned about meteorology and suddenly, you know, I'm, I'm reporting on environmental issues and animal welfare issues, which is totally my passion, and also in presenting the weather. So, look, reasonably well known, I guess, in my hometown, but beyond that, no. And it was never, never, ever about that. I always felt really uncomfortable with the attention. It was not something I set out to do. Okay. I wasn't sure, you know, what level of celebrity being on TV in Australia. Yeah. Now, the moment that really hit me in the documentary was watching Jock follow your boat and basically (laughs) not let you guys leave. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that was stunning to me, watching those scenes. Oh, how wonderful. I can't believe you're talking about the documentary. It's wonderful. Yeah, so one of the things that Jock would like to do is that uh, he'd when we turn to leave, and this is after, you know, interacting with him, and I, I must say that we, we really tried to keep his friendliness quiet. It was a very, there were a very few, a small group of people that knew about Jock and we knew for his own welfare it had to stay that way. And he would leap behind the boat high in the air as we were leaving his zone and I'd be sitting in the back of the boat and this dolphin would be just, you know, launching itself out of the water skyward rocketing out and I, I I was amazed at his ability to just launch himself in the water so quickly so gracefully and then bang belly slopped down back onto the water behind us and I was constantly worried because he had his dorsal fin was so mangled that the tip of it was going to fly off you know one of these belly flops back down onto the water or he was going to land in the boat yeah, is he going to misjudge this and <laughs> in the boat? Because it was right behind the boat. But he never did, and he'd land with a splash. And we have a, often have a, um, a local paper photographer come out who loved taking photos of the dolphins, and uh, Martin Jacker was his name. He'd stand on the back of the boat yelling out to Doc, go higher, go higher. So there's this, you know, guy, if you're looking from a distance, this man in the back of the boat urging this dolphin to go higher, and Jock is jumping out of the water. And there's the rest of us going, oh, please don't land in the boat. And <laughs> it was an amazing thing. And uh, look, I, I think he just must have, uh, he just enjoyed, he seemed to enjoy it. And we loved watching him. And we eventually used that technique, his, his love of following us out, to try and introduce him to other dolphins. Because we knew, you know, I loved John. 
but he really needed to hang out and be with his own kind. He needed to see other dolphins. So he eventually used his love of jumping behind the boat to lure him out to where other dolphins were that we knew, you know, where they were. And you know, after several attempts, uh, that eventually worked. Very cool. Now, I don't want to give away any more spoilers for your book because I want people to buy your book. <laughs> so uh, let's talk just a little bit about your work with the Jane Goodall Institute. How did you become co-chair of the Jane Goodall Institute Citation Committee? That is so amazing. <laughs> you know, it really is amazing. Uh, how blessed am I, really? I just... So what happened was that obviously the book was published here in Australia and I've been, even though I, I don't live in South Australia anymore, I'm still involved very heavily with dolphins in Australia in some way, shape or form. I'm an ambassador for the Kangaroo Island Victor Harbour Dolphin Watch and uh, still very much keep an eye on what's happening with the Port River as well. So when I knew the book was going overseas, I really wanted somebody who to to write a blurb who, who people overseas would know because you know I'm in Australia feels quite far removed we're in Ireland yeah <laughs> down under and I didn't know anyone overseas so just I contacted the Jane Goodall Foundation and um, basically said hey I've got this book coming out is there any chance that Jane would write a blurb for it I mean I've been a huge fan of Jane's for my entire life i I met her once in Adelaide, and but her work is and her her messages of hope really important, especially now. Anyway, so I had no no. I thought no, I'm never going to hear back from these people. I'm never going to get a response. So I just forgot about it. <laughs> and then I don't know, it would have been a month or so later. I get this email saying, "Yeah, okay, you know, she's written, she's read the book, and here's the blurb." And I went, "Whoa." <laughs> Could not believe it. Could not believe it. And then shortly after that, I'm, I'm still coming down from this beautiful blurb that she's written. She's and she's read the book. Wow, wow. And I get this email in my inbox, and it's from Jane. And I'm thinking, now this is some sort of spam here. So I'm thinking, I'm just going to have to delete it. <laughs> and uh, but before I did that, I thought oh, I should check. I suppose. So I put open the email, and it was from Jane herself telling me that how much she loved the book and she hoped it was going to do well. And I, it was it was one of those moments in life where you think, really, is this happening? Someone got a camera there and they're filming this. This can't be happening. <laughs> and um, she said, look, um, we've just created this cetacean committee, and I'd, I'd really like you to consider being on it. And of course, you know. There was never any question that I was going to say, of course I'm going to be on it. There was never a question in my mind. Of course, immediately. So I'm immediately typing back, saying to her, yes, of course, I will do anything. Yes. Yeah. So cut a long story short, um, I became a committee member and met some amazing people on that committee. And really, it's broadened my whole world in regards to cetaceans and the issues facing them globally and the amazing, amazing work that some of these people are doing. So I was so, so proud, so honoured to be part of that committee. And then I was asked to be co-chair, which once again blew my mind. Here I am in Australia, you know, 
I'm no, I'm not a scientist. So I'm not a scientist, and yet I'm surrounded by all these great science minds who um, work with cetaceans around the world. And I'm, you know, a, a woman who's read a book who loves dolphins and has tried her best to help them, but felt completely out of my league, to be honest. So I have used every skill that I have to help in any way I can. As I said, you know, it, I, I, I'm not a scientist, but I can write and I have a broadcast background and I know communication. So uh, it's been a great privilege to be part of that and to be co-chair. And we've done some a couple of great things this year. We wrote a submission to Iceland to stop the whaling. We had a statement, we wrote a statement about Topete's passing. And I'm really very proud of our vision to end, you know, a captivity for, for animals that are there for entertainment purposes. But they should not be in tanks. It's as simple as that. Fantastic. That seems like a perfect place for us to end off. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I could talk, can't I? I've been told that I can. Oh, no, no, this is terrific. Hey, I could, I could go on forever. But that just seems like you, that just seemed kind of lovely. So. Thank you. And look, I've read a lot about what you were doing. And you're, you're bringing out an octopus book. Yes. I, I'm going to have to get that because I love octopus. That has been so exciting, adding that into the mix of things that I'm doing. So, I think it's wonderful. I just, so yes, you have a fan here. Fantastic. Thank you. thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Oh, no, thank you, actually, Mark. And I do hope you stay in contact and I've hit you up on Facebook. I saw that. I've joined like all your social media things now. <laughs> I've been off social media for a bit. I just went on and went, hang on, there you are. And I, all the clicking so. <laughs> oh, so it's so lovely to meet you and it's you know it's it's times like this that you think through all the shittiness in the world i know you know they went off recording this at the moment but there are people that just bring back that hope you know and and cut through the the gloom and and you're one of those so thank you thank you so much Thanks again for checking out Scanna with Mark Larian and our special guest, Melody Horrell, author of The Dolphin Who Saved Me. I'd like to thank all our sponsors and Patreon patrons, including Susie Venuda, Simon McNair, Robert Anderson, Yosef Wask, our friends at Eagle Wing Whale Watching and Wildlife Tours, and Orca Publishing, publishers of my three books on orcas and two books on sharks that are all for younger readers and all available everywhere you buy books. Please follow us on Substack and social media and share the show with your friends. Share it with everyone. And sharing our work is more essential than ever because social media sites are making it tougher to find Scanna and all Canadian news. Because of that, we are now publishing the Scanna newsletter every two weeks and sharing stories about all things eco and aquatic from Canadian media outlets. If this podcast didn't work for you, this is What Now? And I'm Trevor Noah. Scanna is stationed in Saanich, BC, territories of the Wasanich, Songhees, and Esquimalt peoples. Our executive producer, the always awesome Admiral Rain Banu, researcher, Captain Courtney Bell, audio magic, and more, courtesy of Commodore Bug Lewis. Scanna's theme song, Scanna, is by Lee Abramson, who I really need to find an article term for.
Thanks again for listening.